start today in Leviticus 11.45. Leviticus 11.45 is in my opening scripture. <clears throat> this is our start of our series on the attributes of God. And the first attribute that we're going to talk about today is holiness. 25? Leviticus 11.45. Oh. This message is a little bit of a difficult one for me because as I started digging into this, I, I saw some things that I just haven't fully wrapped my mind around in the application side of things. But it's what's been on my heart lately, and so it's what I'm going to bring to you guys today. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45 says, For I am the Lord that brought you, bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and everything you do. God, we thank you for all of your provisions, all of your blessings. And God, I ask that you go with us the remainder of this service. God, I pray that you touch my mind and touch my mouth and touch my heart. God, I pray that your word is brought forth today, God, that you would be glorified. Help our hearts and minds to be open, God, to everything you want to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I've broken this message up basically into four parts. What does it mean to be holy? Why would I choose to be holy? How to be holy and how to stay holy. So the first part we're going to talk about here is what does it mean to be holy? The word holy means to be set apart, to be separated, to be sacred, or, or to be a sanctuary. God has separated himself out and is separate and is distinctive from the things of this world. God does not mix with world. And he has placed that call upon each and every one of us to be holy because he is holy. When you look at a word like sanctuary, which is a place of safety, that is a place that is not being inundated with the garbage of this world. I want my home to be a sanctuary from the garbage of this world. There was a time in my life where, where the, the media that I was consuming, I justified it, and I, and I even said this to somebody, I said, what's the difference between me going to Walmart and listening to the conversations that you hear down those aisles or seeing the things that you do or just going out in public, going to my workplace and you know, hearing uncouth conversations What's the difference between me consuming it there and, and the media that I would consume at home? But I had a realization one day that my home can be a sanctuary from the garbage of this world. And that actually spoke to a deeper heart condition and issue that I had at that time because I didn't have my heart set apart. I wasn't trying to be holy and I didn't hate 
the sin and the things and the garbage of this world. 1 Peter 2.5 says, Ye are also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The role, role of the priesthood in the Old Testament was to perform those sacrifices and keep that altar of incense burning as a worship and as a praise to God. And you get into the New Testament, and each and every one of us as Christians are part of the holy priesthood. And it is our role and our job as a Christian to offer up spiritual sacrifices as a worship and as a praise to God. You look at 1 Peter 2 9, just a couple of verses down. It says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's so much packed into that scripture there. We talked about this last week, but being a peculiar people just means a separated people. It doesn't mean odd, like we use the word peculiar. It just means being different. We're separated out. So we are a separated people, but we are a holy nation. God has called us to be holy, to not be intermingled, not to be mixed with the things of this world. That ye should show forth the praises of him so that our entire purpose, our entire role, our purpose and the reason we exist is to praise the one that called us out of darkness into the light. I remember when I was a kid, I was a little afraid of the dark. That's natural. It's the fear of the unknown, the things you can't see. But God is bringing us out of blindness into the light. That we don't have to be, that we don't have to be blind, we don't have to be in the darkness, but that we can walk into his marvelous light. I see another element of this being holy and being separated. The Jews did not intermingle, did not inter, intermingle with the people of the world. And God is calling upon us to be separate. And this is the part that I'm still really trying to wrap my mind around and understand, but I'm going to do my best to explain it. I believe that God's calling to us to be holy and to be separate means to not keep tight connections with the things of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't take part in the worldly entertainments. We don't take part in the things this world has to offer. I, I have a very visual way of thinking, and my very visual way of thinking builds me this picture of us having a tight network as a church, as a spiritual body of a support group, that these are our tight friends. These are the people we associate ourselves with, or other people that are Christians, other people filled with the Holy Ghost, that those are the people we associate with. And we would, we would just break away from that group for a moment to run into this burning down, dying world to try to grab somebody and bring them out into safety. That is what holiness looks like, is not spending your time hanging out in this world that's burning down, 
not spending time tightly networking with, with the garbage in this world, but separating yourself out because we don't want any part of that. To be separate is what it means to be whole. But the second part that I have here and the question that I asked, even asked this a little bit in prayer, kind of a little facetiously to God this morning, I said, why would I be holy? Why would I choose to be holy? The world is attractive. The things this world has to offer sometimes sounds like something I might want to do. So why would I be holy? Why would I do that? In about as quick as I could ask that question, I had a flurry of words that came through my mind. Creation, Noah, Moses, David and Goliath, Dang in the lion's den, Jonah, Jesus on the cross, Saul's conversion. Leviticus 11.45 was our opening text today. It says, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am your Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. He brought the children of Israel, separated them out. God separated the children of Israel up out of Egypt from their bondage, from their slavery, from their, and in some ways it was their comfort, it was their home. He barely gets them out of Egypt. And do you know what the Egyptians or the, the children of Israel started saying? Can we just go back? Can we just go back? At least we have at least we had some food over there. The whole time that, that, that these children of Israel are getting delivered out of Egypt, they're asking the question: can we just go back into bondage? But God, church, we have a God that delivered the children of Israel, up out of Egypt, up out of their bondage, broke them out of their prison to be separated, to be a separate people. This world may have attractions, but I want to be a part of that God that has separated people up out of bondage. You think about creation. God created everything. You look at the story of Noah, how God saved Noah, and in that, that beautiful plan and the way that God executed that. David and Goliath, you've got this giant that had risen up against God's people for all this time that they were cowering from. And, and David, little boy, comes up out of nowhere with some faith, and he rocked that giant to sleep. You got Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel had dedicated his life to God. The world, his world, his atmosphere turns against him and tries to annihilate and tries to kill him. But God had a different plan. You look at the story of Jonah. Jonah tried running away from God, but God had a plan for those people of Nineveh. God turned Jonah around. God got a hold of Jonah during his rebellion out of his love for the people of Nineveh. 
You've got the story of Jesus on the cross, God manifest in the flesh, dying on the cross, the only one who didn't ever have to die, the only one who wasn't worthy of or deserving of death, took that price to pay that price so you and I wouldn't have to go through that death. Saul's conversion, one of the worst things that ever happened in the New Testament church was also one of the best things that ever happened in the New Testament church. You see Saul going in and, and, and destroying and, and killing anybody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus or anybody who said that Jesus was God. Saul would go in and kill them. But we go, he has a transformation. That is who my God is. My God is a protector. My God is a provider. My God changed Saul's life and changed his name to Paul. He is a God of separation. He loves separation. We see the separation intermittently and in some of the attractions of this world. But I have a bit of an object lesson. Does anybody like Doritos? I like Doritos. You like Doritos? I have some Doritos in a cup here with some mulch that I pulled out of our flower bed. Do you know why we use mulch? Because it's attractive. It, it, I guess it helps keep the ground moist too. But for the purpose of this analogy, mulch is attractive. And I've taken some Doritos and I've stuck them in and I've mixed them in with my mulch. You want a Dorito, Lira? You don't want to read anymore? <laughs> you like separation, don't you? God likes separation. God does not want us to present ourselves to him like a Dorito and mulch. God wants us to be separate from the things of this world. Why would we choose to be holy? because of who the I am is. If all of those Bible stories that I just briefly referenced don't get your attention, then think about this. The I am, which means the self-existent one, the one that was so powerful to create himself. Even Hollywood hasn't tried to come up with something like that. I guess, I don't know, I don't, I don't get into a lot of the Hollywood stuff. <laughs> but, but, God created himself with his own creative power. And that is someone and something I want to be a part of. I can love him because of who he is. I love God because of the way that he set this universe into order. The more I learn about science, the more I learn about mathematics, which are some very interesting subjects to me, the more it blows my mind about how detailed God is in the way that he set things into motion. I had somebody tell me this week that the reason they don't believe in God is because they look at the order of the universe and think nobody could have ever done that. And I told them, I said, that's the exact reason I believe in God. is because, actually what I said to them was, it wasn't just somebody. It was the I am. That is the power of our God. And that God has reached out to each and every one of us individually and said, hey, 
I want you to come out from among this corrupt world and be a part of me, to be a part of my fellowship. Why would we choose to be separate from the attractions of this world? Because I want to be with God. Because I love God. 2 Peter 1.4, whereby whereby are given unto us an exceeding great and precious promise that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Lust means desire. So there's corruption in this world through desire. I want to be holy so I don't have to be mingled with the corruption of this world. Our desires... Our lust are what leads to corruption. And that's where the rubber kind of hits the road on this. Because for us to be holy and separated, sometimes, or not sometimes, we have to run directly against some of our desires. So the question is how to be holy. And really, it all has to start with an I want to. If you don't want to be separate, you will never be separate. If you don't want to be holy, if we don't want to be holy, if we don't want to be separate and we want to be mingled, then it's going to be very difficult for us to take that step and to be holy. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That is how to be holy, is to keep his commandments. And he's given us a whole book of his commandments. If you want to be separate, if we really love God, we have to accept that separation. How to stay holy. So to be holy, it starts with the want to. But to stay holy, because we can get there. There's been many times I've been at church, or I've been at a camp meeting, or I've been at some service, you know, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make all these changes. I'm ready, I'm ready to, to, you know, I surrender my life to you. And then I get home and I really start thinking about. It. I'm like, man, I kind of like, kind of like some of that stuff. It's human. It's natural, but it's not okay. So how do you stay holy? I wish there was a magic formula, but there's not. 2 Peter 1-4 through 4 says, Whereby are given unto us an exceeding great and precious promise, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. It's the same scripture we just read. Is that chapter 1? Yes, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, Escaped, gotten away, dodged, broke the chains of. So he's leading into something with this, with this scripture here. It says, whereby are given us the exceeding great and precious promise that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. Getting into verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. They already had 
faith. That was to be assumed. He was, a, he was he's starting with the premise they already have faith. Faith is the foundation that everything else here is going to build upon. Because if you don't have the faith, <clears throat> you have to have the faith to be able to build all of this stuff on it. Because that is the foundation. If you don't have faith, then what is there to build on? And it's easy to ask the question, is your faith in God or is your faith in man? And if I asked any one of you, it would be a very quick answer. My faith's in God, of course. That's an easy answer. But I want to think about that a little bit. If or when we have sin that creeps into our life, do we trust God to help us overcome it or do we try to fight the battle ourselves? Are we putting our faith in our own power or are we putting our faith in God? When we have a win and a success in life, do we immediately thank God for it or do we pat ourselves on the back and go, good job, I, I did that? Or the opposite situation, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him for he careth for you. That care means anxiety. When you're feeling anxious, do you trust God and remind God that you trust him? We're all human, not trying to berate or belittle or speak down to anyone. I just want to help magnify and bring to our attention that we might have opportunities in our life for more faith. We might have room in our life to acknowledge God in another part of our life. To fully dedicate and devote every part of our trust and our will and our want. And to understand that he is the I am. God, the creator, the I am, the self-existent one, cares for you. He cares for me. He cares about each and every one of us. He cares about what happens in our life. And when life isn't going our way, are we really able to take a step back and say, God, I trust that you're working. When life seems like it's falling apart, are we really able to have that faith? It's easy to have faith when it's going good. To say, you know what, God, I'm not going to try solving this problem myself. I'm going to let you handle it. But even... When God's working, he also expects us to be our working. If you were to climb over a fence into a bear cage to get some honeycomb, the merciful God will help you find an escape, but you have to leave the honeycomb behind. <laughs> and you might have to accept that you're not going to get in the last punch. If we're fighting battles in our life, we might have to take a step back and say, all right, God, it's your turn. I'm not fighting anymore. If we're having interpersonal struggles, if we're having relationship problems, we might have to take time to step back and say, God, I'm not going to keep arguing. I'm not going to keep fighting. I'm not going to keep trying to conform the situation to my will. But I'm going to trust that the creator of the entire universe that hung the moon and stars in such perfect place has a bigger understanding of the world than I do. And that sounds oversimplified when you say it that way, 
but we have to accept that God is bigger than we are. And it's natural. It's so natural because for us to just see things from our point of view because the only eyes that we have access to are our own. We can only see things from our point of view. But you have to actively remind yourself that we don't see everything and that we are limited and that we have an unlimited God that can deal with these things. Amen. Things may not always go your way. And that's okay. Because... We're not trying to do things our way. We're trying to do things God's way. Is your faith in God or is your faith in man? And you may even think in your heart right now, I have faith, but I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I want to have faith. I have a scripture for that. <laughs> Mark 9, 23 and 24 Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. It's okay that you've got reservation. It's okay that you've got hesitation. But you can ask God to help you have faith. If you ask God with a sincere heart for a request that aligns with his will, he will answer. As you continue putting your faith squarely in God, every part of your faith, every part of the things that you want to do, you submit your will to God's will. That is the foundation of living what has been dubbed the fall-proof life. As we're talking about how to stay holy, we have to start by putting our faith in God. That's the foundation that everything else is going to build off of. And as we put our faith in God to build everything off of that, we're going to continue in 2 Peter. I'm going to end up reading verses 5 through 8, but I'm going to go through them kind of slow. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. The word virtue can be translated as purity or as integrity. Purity is holiness. So when we're building this, we're going to add to our faith holiness. Virtue also is integrity. Integrity is what we do when no one's watching. As, as crazy as this sounds, and I'm being a little vulnerable, I've had the thought before while I'm scrolling through Facebook, I better turn down the volume because I don't want other people to think I listen to or watch this filth. I might be the only one that's ever done that, but I also might not be the only one. If you're doing things in your private life that you wouldn't want people to find out publicly, that's a lack of virtue. It's a lack of integrity. You have to, you have to live a life your public life also privately. So we start with faith and then we add holiness even when no one is looking. We put all of our faith in God and then we live in holiness when no one is looking. Add to virtue knowledge. Keep studying. Keep building. We're building this wall or hedge of protection to keep us out of the things of this world. But we have to keep studying and keep learning what God loves and what God hates so we can keep adding and subtracting things from our life. 
Because the more we study the word, the more we understand who God is, the more we understand what his holiness is, and the more we can understand the life we need to lead. And that's going to help build this hedge of protection to keep us safe. So we start with our faith, then we add holiness even when no one is looking, and then we add more studying to better understand who God is. I don't see this as, as, as building just vertically, but I also see this as building a bit of a, a bit of a, you're building a wall. So you're not just going straight up. These aren't, aren't just building blocks one on top of each other. This isn't an order of how these things necessarily go in, but you're adding all of these elements to your life. You keep the faith going. You keep the integrity going. You're adding more knowledge. You're learning more. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience is verse 6. Temperance is self-control. Patience is waiting. Temperance and self-control, or sorry, self-control and patience are very similar, but they have a distinction. One is waiting when you have the option to move forward. The other is accepting when you can't. Self-control and self-discipline are about mind over matter. You controlling your actions, not your will controlling your actions. And that's a scary place to be if your will, your desires are controlling your actions. You want to be in a place in life where you have control over your actions. Our prison system is filled with people that have regrets. Because any moment... They got caught in a compromising situation and their desires of their heart won out over their self-control to keep their hand to themselves or to be responsible or to not steal or to not punch or to not, you know, or, or to not get involved in that fight or, or to not grab a million dollars that were sitting on the counter. Whatever that story is, you've got to have that self-control to keep your hands to yourself, to control your actions. And then patience is waiting for things you can't control. Another way of looking at this is patience is waiting for the brownies to come out of the oven. Self-control is not eating them all in one sitting. Patience is waiting for those brownies to cook takes time. You have no control over that. But you have to keep that attitude in check. You have to wait for the things you can't control. There's people around you that do stupid things, and you have to be a little patient with them. Patience is listening to someone who's stupid. Self-control is not punching them. You have to put up with people at times in our life. We have to put up with things in our life that don't go our way. Sometimes we have to wait, but we have to keep a right attitude while we wait. And then there's times when opportunity comes along, and we have to decide for ourselves that we're going to take a step back and wait. That we're not going to be led by our fleshly desires. And the best way to conquer your fleshly desires, there's two, there's two things. One is fasting. And the other one is prayer. Prayer Bible reading, but I guess, you know, prayer Bible reading and fasting, they all kind of build on top of each other. Prayer strengthens your spirit. Bible reading strengthens your spirit. Fasting weakens your flesh. If you want 
self-discipline and self-control. You have to make the flesh strong or the flesh weak and the spirit strong. Prayer and Bible reading, and sometimes actually even more Bible reading, makes your your spirit strong. Fasting makes your fleshly desires weak. Fasting is the literal act of self-discipline. Teaching yourself discipline is not something that you wait until you need it. You have to exercise and work out. It's a muscle you have to strengthen, and you have to keep working at it. You can't just show up one day when temptation comes along, okay, now I'm going to have self-discipline. Because if you haven't practiced that discipline, you're going to lose out to your flesh. You have to exercise and practice self-discipline. So it is a skill that we have to add to our wall, but we also have to exercise patience and wait on the things we can't control. So as we're building this wall, we've got faith, holiness when no one is looking, more studying to better understand who God is, exercising self-control and self-discipline over things we can control, and patience over things that we can't. Add to your patience godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness, charity. God, that is verse 7, the end of verse 6 and verse 7. Is this uh, what, uh, what book? Uh, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. So this is seven, or I guess, yeah, five, the end of six and verse seven. To godly, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity. God is love. God wants us to be kind to everybody. God wants us to love everybody. You asked a good question, Leroy. What if it's hard? If it was easy and we wanted to do it, the Bible wouldn't have to instruct us to do it. That's the, that's the bottom line. So we have to practice it. It's something you have to put into practice. When there's somebody that's hard to love, you have to pray that God would help you to have enough love for them. You have to learn to see them the way that God sees them. God loves everybody because he sees them as their, as unique creation. He sees them for their individuality. So, we start with faith. We add holiness over we add holiness even when no one is looking. We add more studying to better understand who God is. We exercise self-control and discipline over the things we can control and patience over things we can't, and we love people. Everything that we do in life should be out of love for those around us. Life in, or Love is not about serving yourself. Love is about serving others. So if you live your life always thinking about how can I benefit the world around me, that is how you spread love. In verse 8, it then says, For if these things be in you 
and they abound, they make you that neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand. Continuing into verse 9 here, it says, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. When you don't do these things, you forget that you've been cleansed and purged from your old ways. When you don't do these things, you end up slipping back into your old ways of life. These are the walls that you need to build. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And then in verse 10 here, it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is holy. And God wants each and every one of us to be holy. And I want to challenge each and every one of you this morning if you, as we go to the prayer. I want you to think to yourself, is there anything in my life that I've compromised? Is there any unholiness that I've allowed into my heart or into my life that would separate me from God? When God looks at me, does he see me mixed in with the things of this world? Or when God looks at me, does he see me separated out? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, Lord. I thank you for everything that you do. God, I ask that you go with us, God, as we continue our week. God, I pray that you give us strength, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.